This is Atlantic City. Atlantic City was kind of America on steroids. I didn't run for mayor of Atlantic City. I ran for governor of New Jersey. Was you know another day in Atlantic City, <laughs> another crisis and things. I've been able to call Atlantic City my Miss America home. This is the Atlantic City story. This week's guests on the Atlantic City story are being brought to you from the worlds of art and sports, two areas that have shaped the city over its history. Leonard Dozier was born in Pleasantville, but he spent 10 years, 10 lean years as he puts it, struggling to find his voice in Atlantic City. It took getting fired from his boss for him to realize his dream of becoming an actor and a voice narrator. Now he works for NFL Films and he cashes checks signed by Roger Goodell. Is that really a good thing to have your check signed by Roger Goodell? And on the second part of the show today, UFC fighters Kevin Lee and Edson Barboza talk about how they fought their way out of hard times and into the main event at UFC's return to Atlantic City in April. Leonard, thanks for being here. Glad to be here, Buzz. Glad to be here. This is awesome, man. One of the staples of this podcast is talking about Atlantic City, its history, its promise, its failures, its, its success stories. Uh, but we also want to talk about the successes of the people who've grown up there. You told me that you know, besides being right next to Atlantic City and, and seeing that the casinos from across the bay, you spent 10 years in the city. Yeah, close to 10 years in Atlantic City from like 2000 to 2008. And those were, I, I consider those some real lean years, some real formative years. Um, what were you doing then? Well, so I, I, uh, I worked um, for the, I worked for a couple of casinos, um, the Taj Mahal to start. And I did that like during a college break, summer break, and I was an entertainment usher. And so, but, uh, but I, I think where things really started to change for me is when I, I worked for the Atlantic City Library from 2003 to 2005. And uh, as, a, as a bit of a um, bookworm, I consider myself a bit of a bookworm. I mean, it was a great environment for me to, uh, to work. Um, but there was always still, and I was always still active, even as a performer, um, you know, I was still acting, mm-hmm. still singing. I was still, you know, really in those professions part time, even as I worked um, at the library. And, you know, it, from the library, I went to be the supervisor for the foster grandparent program, which is in, in Atlantic City. Okay. Um, it is under the, um, there's a, it, it, it actually is a part of the senior care, the national senior care program. And so I was a supervisor for about 90 seniors who would actually work in schools alongside teachers. Um, and so I had this wonderful role of kind of facilitating um, the educational experience uh, for, for students and teachers by having seniors work alongside. Uh, it was a great, great program. But um, my boss had seen me in a play. I had, I had done a local production of A Raisin in the Sun that I produced myself. And uh, it was pretty well-reviewed, Buzz. I mean, we had good audiences. Um, in fact, I, from that uh, point, started to get interest from other entities. But uh, my boss saw that play, and I think that really changed her perspective about my, even my work for her. And, and, and she acknowledged, she said, you know, you do good work for me, but I don't know, I think you're wasting your time here. Um, and we went through this for, you know, a couple of months. And lo and behold, one day I came in, uh, I think it was like a Monday morning, we had just had like a, a meeting on Friday. And I'm really looking forward to some of the programs and things we had talked about on Friday. And I was in for quite a rude awakening because there was a pink slip on my desk and uh, I was fired. So I storm into her office, and I'm like, you know, what is this? I mean, you know, we we just had a production meeting on Friday, and program meeting, rather, and, and, you know, we talked about all these initiatives we're trying to start and get going forward, and she said, you know, no, 
now you can now you can go do what you should be doing. <laughs> and and how did you react to that? Oh, I, I was I was hot. I mean, I was I was livid. I mean, I was you know what are you talking about? She says, no, you're wasting your time here. Go do what you should be doing. I said, you don't understand. I've got a family. I've got bills. I mean, what? That are you is doing? some tough love. Uh, yeah, I'm like what you know. And she said, no, you're, you'll be fine. Um, she said, you know, go collect your unemployment for six months or whatever. Get yourself on your feet, but but go do what you got to do. How long did it take for you to realize that she was right? Oh, three months. So I didn't, I, I, believe it or not, um, it, it was to the point, Buzz, where in three months, I mean, I got a, an acting job within the first month and a half that allowed me to tour a little bit with a company out of New York. And then I, um, that led to me actually fully producing the Raisin in the Sun production. And we took that Raisin in the Sun production on tour. So I became this entrepreneur also as a result of that. And it was the best thing that ever, I mean, I, I, I can't state enough, that was the best thing to ever happen to me in life. Do you ever think what would have happened if she hadn't uh, taken I, that step Oh, my fired? goodness, man, that's scary to even think about. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's I'd like to think at some point, um, to her credit, I think she saw, she she could see, um, she could see in me from time to time a restlessness. Mm-hmm. And I think that she was keen enough to go, yeah, you do good work, but I can also see it on many days when you're, you don't necessarily, being honest, that you don't necessarily have the right attitude because you're upset that you have to be here. You, I, it sounds like you've been really fortunate to have some really good mentors yeah, and, and totally. some people who've really taken an interest totally. in not just totally. sat there and waited for you yeah, to ask them for help, absolutely. but to kind of kick in the pants yeah, maybe a couple Exactly, times. just a push. And she would, you know, she'll uh, occasionally follow me on, on, on social media and so she, and she'll say, hey, superstar, what you up to now? You know, what, what are you up to now? And, and that's a, you know, it's just, it's one of the great things that ever happened to me. Um, and I know even for the people I mentor, Buzz, um, when they hear that story and when I do workshops around the country and I teach and I meet people and tell them that story, as you can imagine, so many of them are inspired and you know, they're like, man, I, I want to leave my job. And, and, right. and I go, I, you know, and I said, you know, and I always tell them, I don't know that it works that way. Um, I, I, I can never tell you guys to just walk off and, and leave your jobs or, or your, you need a plan. You need, you need a plan. plan. And I said, in my, fortunately in my case, the plan, there really was no plan other than my boss going, um, nope, you do not belong here and kicking me out <laughs> so <laughs> what's the one thing you tell people that they may not be familiar with it not having not knowing the area the way you do that's a great question you know the, the one thing you'll be surprised uh about atlantic city is how um how sort of grassroots artistic it is um it's it's you know it's never been philadelphia or new york city in terms of its its art scene or cultural scene but there is this sort of grassroots um, I, I can tell you 15 people right now who, who have something going on theatrically or musically or in the visual arts or in, you know, choreography. The list goes on and on. So there is this real grassroots artistic movement there. And I, it, I, I hope that that's a part of Atlantic City's future. Is that something you've noticed 10, 15 years ago or is it is it no, growing? No, I think it's growing. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I think as a kid growing up, I mean, there was... Um, I, I can think of one entity that that did a few things in Atlantic City as far as plays and so forth. Um, I mean, if you didn't work in the casinos, um, there, there really was no entertainment. There was no cultural, artistic, and cultural life there. And we talked earlier about, and, and this was before we went on the air, about a 48 blocks 
which yeah. is which is a pretty cool mm-hmm. and it grassroots but with some funding grassroots effort to kind of yeah, some put f- art throughout the city absolutely with that project and and some friends of mine at Little Rock Films and Studios uh, they're in Ventnor just outside of Atlantic City you know they're they're very proactive now in trying to get a project made a you know, movie made about Atlantic City and so I think now that was not the case mm-hmm. um, 15 years ago um, when when the casinos were kind of in their heyday 20 years ago what do you think the power of arts you being an artist too of of to kind of change not just perception but reality of a community can does it have that much power you know i i it's it's interesting and i think it i think it does i i think it does i mean i think when you look at um you you look at the atlantic city film festival that uh shamefully it's it's no longer uh taking place in atlantic city but i i went to i think the first year they had that and and a movie that i was in uh was shown there and you saw the community outpouring, um, sure. and, you, and you saw you saw the community outpouring in a way that said, you know, yeah, we're not here to gamble today. We're here to support this film, and it's about Atlantic City, and it takes place in Atlantic City, and and so arts can influence. Uh, and in fact, I don't think it does enough in the greater Atlantic City area, quite frankly. I want to go back a little bit to to, to your your youth and growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, you grew up in Pleasantville. You played for Pleasantville High School. For for a couple of really good teams, I think Rob Strickland and oh, yeah. Jameer, and Jamar Perry, and Jamar Clinton Perry Jones were and were and you guys were were con- perennial contenders. We're a dynamite team, and I I played uh, interestingly up interestingly enough as a freshman, I played some varsity and and played JV, and then uh, Coach Leary at the time, Ken Leary, um, the late great Ken Leary, um, by sophomore year said, "Listen, I." I um, and I, I, Buzz, I had grown up as a point guard, man. I was a big Magic Johnson fan growing uh-huh. up. In fact, I, it, back home, people still call me Magic. I mean, just because right. I, I really patterned my game a lot after Magic Johnson. But Jamar Perry was already there as, as a great point guard. So Coach Leary said, listen, you know, I could really use you at the four. So imagine having to shift from point guard to power forward. So I became like a Carl Malone fan real quick. Yeah, yeah. Watch it. You're always watching the tape, aren't you? Yeah, you know. But... At the same time, you're doing that. You're also starting to act. Yep. You're starting yep. to, to to sing, to sing, to write. Um, Where did that come from? Dr. Norman King, principal of Pleasantville High, um, who basically I was tenth grade year, and uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church in Pleasantville does an annual MLK birthday uh, ceremony. It's mm. fantastic, and it's usually jam packed. Um, and uh, Dr. Norman King said to me, he said, listen, you know, I'd, I'd love it if you would um, be, be a part of their programming um, and recite the I Have a Dream speech. And I said, sure. You know, I, I never really acted. I mean, other than doing a Christmas carol in the fourth grade, I played Scrooge. But other than that, I, I no real acting experience. And so, but I knew that anybody buzz could recite it. I mean, anybody could get up there and recite it. So I said, okay, I need to really try to if possible, bring King to that pulpit that day. So I spent a couple of weeks just watching King religiously. I mean, I, I had his mannerisms down. I had his speech patterns down. I mean, I, I really just kind of invested in him as you would as a method actor. And uh, that place was jam-packed, man. It, uh, I, I, I'll never forget it. Um, former Philadelphia Mayor Wilson Good was in attendance, and there was a few dignitaries, the mayor of Pleasantville, Ralph Peterson at that time, and uh, got a standing ovation from that. Did they see that coming? 
Uh, Were they just expecting someone to come up and maybe a little nervously read? Yep, and just nervously read. Wow. I mean, quite frankly, I I did, wasn't expecting it either. But it was, I that day something happened for me on that pulpit where it was a it was a feeling, and I've gotten this feeling as an athlete where you just feel like you can do anything you want to do, you know, on that court or on that field. And that's what happened on that pulpit. I just said, I, I got com- complete command at this point of what I want to do. And long story short, um, nearly every church in Pleasantville booked me to do this speech after and that, that was the start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so had you done acting lessons or taken acting no, lessons? No, no, but that was the that was the um that was the catalyst to get me to uh want to take acting classes. There's a renowned school in Atlantic City called We Sparin Ryan. I think it's now in uh, in Pleasantville, but We Sparin Ryan, very renowned acting school and I found out about it. And I went to my principal and I said, you know, I, I would, you know, really like to take acting classes. I don't come from a lot of money. And uh, is there any way that uh, there's 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 some funding somewhere to pay for this? And uh, to his credit, he petitioned the Board of Education to pay for uh, the acting classes, you know, which had to be unprecedented. Because can you imagine if every student wanted? Yeah. yeah I mean, sure. you know, it's really sticking his neck out, too, by doing that. And but he was able to get the board of education to uh, to pay for acting classes, and that really started the ball rolling for me. To, to the point, Buzz, where um, basketball at that point um, became of no interest. In fact, I um, probably within a week um, left the basketball team. Wow! Yeah, uh, you know it, it was. It, it was it, I, I tell the story that it was one of those things where I was sitting on the bench for a game, and it, it, it's it, there was this sort of this inner voice that I heard that said, you know what, you love basketball, you'll always love it, but there's a new path for you. And I heard it as clear as day and, yeah, went back to the coaching staff and said, you know, um, I'm done. And it was very, it was a shock, um, not only to, to the team, but to the community at large. In fact, a lot of people weren't very happy with that decision, to be honest with you, uh, family included. But you felt that this was your calling. Oh, absolutely! I knew definitively it was it was the right move at that at the right time. You you mentioned the principal and and the Dr. Martin Luther King speech. Who who else influenced you? Uh, oh man, the great the the late great uh, John Jennings, who was a uh, coach in Pleasantville. He was a teacher, um, well known as a football coach, uh, basketball man. Um, he, you know, he taught uh, physical education at North Main Street School in Pleasantville, and in the fourth grade or so, he he saw that you know I was a kid that had potential, who um, who was a who was a studious kid, a kid who was hardworking, and and that appealed to him. And we really became like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, he, you know, in summer, and he would pick me up every day, and we'd go to basketball camp, and and um, in fact, uh, we we lost him I think two years ago now, and um, he was. He was Buzz. I can't um, I can't state enough how invaluable he was to me, particularly as someone who grew up without a father. Uh, he was he was just absolutely instrumental. He was a mentor. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, incidentally, um, he was also one of the few that when I made the decision to leave the basketball team, think about this guy who was a sports hero in town. He was really one of the first people to go. You know what? Screw everybody. You made the right move. That meant a lot to you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, we talked. You, you, we talked earlier about mentors before we came on air, and, and you talk about the importance of helping others. Mm-hmm. Describe a little bit of what, how you were helped, has 
kind of informed how you help others now kind of achieve their dreams? Or, oh, absolutely, or? because I, I know definitively, definitively if I did not have mentorship, uh, you know, without a father, you know, just being raised by my mother and my grandmother, you know, I, you know, fortunately I was, I was very self-motivated as a kid, so I kind of came, <laughs> I, I always joke that I kind of came into the world with, uh, with, with some fire to me to, to get something accomplished, um, but still you have to kind of have the right upbringing and, and rearing to kind of help nurture all that. Um, but I do realize that people like John Jennings, um, I had a high school teacher, a guy named Robert, uh, Dr. Robert Rieger, um, um, who was also uh, very influential. And I realized that these people were so helpful to, to me on my path. And I always said, I always, again, it comes from sports, the idea of a team, mm-hmm. that I, I believe that to this day in life, that you don't accomplish anything without a team of people. Um, and I, it really applies to my career today, which is why I, I try to put together the, rest, the, the right teammates, PR guy, manager, agents. I try to put together the right team today. And, but, but that idea of team kind of propels my mentorship in that it takes my mentees having you know, uh, somebody to sort of spearhead their, their teams. Um, sure. Just this morning, uh, uh, if I can share this, just this morning, I, uh, one of my mentees um, has long desired to do voiceover work for the Flyers. Uh, he's, he's a big Flyers fan, and he said, is there any, you know, what do you think about me doing VO work for the Flyers? He said, I know it's like a pipe dream. I said, you think it's a pipe dream? I said to him, he's, he said, yeah, it's not going to happen, but I, I, I said, give me a couple days. This morning I heard from the guy at the Flyers, and this mentee of mine is now getting reviewed. Wow. Yeah. So that that's to the extent. That's a great yeah. lesson for, for him, too, to learn that, you know, you aim high, dream, Absolutely. dream big. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's it like to be the successor of some of the most iconic voices and, and images of, of football? Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's actually kind of surreal to be honest with you, to be like one of these, you know, and it's just a small group of us that, you know, succeed a guy like John Facenda. And yet it's a, if you watch any of the NFL films footage today or any of their shows, it's a very different style of narration today. John Facenda was very kind of dramatic and, and now it's just, it's a little more dialed down. It's a little more flattened and flatlined. And, and so it's a, it's a very different style of narration too is that um, is that conscious by the by the producers oh, absolutely because i think what it is now when you think back to i guess the 60s and maybe 70s when when john narrated uh i don't think nfl films had quite the uh cinematic abilities that they have now you know the cinema their cinematography now is is super um and they're behind the scenes you know footage and and the and, and they actually believe it or not have an orchestral studio at NFL films where they have a live orchestra coming in school wow. I mean it's crazy and so now that stuff the producers really want the actual game footage and the music and the effects and and all of the actual in-game stuff to drive the uh, the stories and the narrate the narrators are just there to connect the dots. There's an interesting story about how you got the job. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you just basically walked up to a producer and and well, told gave, him to actually gave him a call. Um, and it was one of those deals where I the NFL narration job was my dream job as a voice actor. I pretty much have done every kind of voiceover work you can do as a voice actor. So, but for me, I always wanted to narrate for the NFL because I'm a big fan. And uh, it took me about three years just to get the right person. To talk to which was this senior producer because i would i would call and i'd call up and ask for the narration department or the 
audio department. I mean, I, I went through all any kind of department you can think of, and got all these you know answering machines and no callbacks. <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> so there was this big national story about a homeless guy, and I forget his name offhand, who had this great voice, and he was you know he had gotten you know gotten some gigs because of his voice, and and uh, had gotten quite uh, quite famous as a result of his voice and being homeless. It was an incredible story. And I think it was in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, uh, and I, I read the story, and that's where I saw who the senior producer of NFL Films was, and I said, "Boom! That's all I need." You tracked him down? Oh, absolutely. I gave him gave him a call in the next day, I think, um, and eventually got an email address uh, for him. Sent him my demos. Uh, a couple of days later, he calls me back, and he goes, "Hmm, hmm." That was literally his response. Hmm. That's good. I, I said, that's good, huh? He said, yeah. He said, uh, you know, I want to get some scripts together for you to do an audition. And uh, he said, you got a home studio? I said, yeah. And so they did a live audition with me at my home studio, he and another producer. A couple of days later, they said, welcome aboard. And that's been for the last two years? Two years, yep. Being the voice of the NFL, you obviously got to take part in a, a special moment for us. South Jersey and Philadelphia fans. Oh, totally. You, uh, you narrated the Eagles Super Bowl. Super Bowl victory, victory. you know. And, you know, the, 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 the story is, I mean, I would have narrated it anyway. In fact, I narrated the same program last year when the Patriots beat the Falcons. But, of course, as you would imagine, it has greater meaning this year with the Eagles winning. And, sure. Uh, oh, man, it was, you know. I'm, I literally was watching the Super Bowl going, the Eagles are going to win this thing, and I'm going to be narrating the highlights in a couple of days. Describe and, that feeling. Oh, you know, it's it's again, it's surreal. I mean, it's it's for me, I'm I'm watching the Super Bowl taking notes, you know, because I know that in a couple of days I'm going to be narrating, you know, this game. And so for me, it it's taking notes. And so when when I got the script and I saw some of the lines that were written, I'm like, "Yep, I remember that play. Everybody remembers that that Philly special play." An undrafted rookie running back tossing to a third-string tight end, throwing to a backup quarterback. There isn't a play in the playbook that illustrates what makes this Philly team special, more than the Philly special. That's a great line. That's a great line, man. Did you write it? No, I wish. (laughs) But when you read it, you got chills. Well, when I read it, it was... uh, And the producer, you know, uh, he said to me, we don't need to play it up. It is what it is. People see it, and it's, And I knew exactly what he wanted. I just needed to kind of settle in and just state the facts and kind of let sort of the pacing dictate because um, I knew ultimately they were showing every shot mm-hmm. of you know that pass. And so just kind of let the pacing and let the, the actual visual kind of tell the story but connect the dots as a narrator. What was your favorite moment? Of the of the game, besides a Philly special, what what, what was the uh, another moment that you can't forget? Oh, you know, I think, and it's it's a crazy deal, but um, it was Brady dropping. Uh, yeah, dropping that's a good. That's a good. Yeah, just because typical you know, Eagles fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to gloat a little just bit. Just because you know, it's it's um, it's one of those things where when you know you see a guy like Brady miss uh, miss the miss the, the the catch, you go, yeah, he's human. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be right back with press staff writer David Weinberg as he talks to UFC fighters Kevin Lee and Edson Barbosa. Uh, hi, this is press of Atlantic City sports columnist Dave Weinberg. I'm here with Edson Barbosa, who's fighting at uh, Boardwalk Hall on April 21st against Kevin Lee. Edson, thanks for taking the time. I do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, from what I understand, you got your you kind of got your not your quite your start, but you fought uh, for uh, Ring of Combat before you yes. joined the UFC, right? So I guess you're kind of familiar with Atlantic City a little bit. Yes, definitely. I was fought two times for Ring of Combat and for one time in for UFC. Oh, really? That's my fourth fight. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, you are the uh, you are the Rebel card with uh, yeah, Donald Cerrone. Yeah, it was the Coleman event against Evan Durham. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So, what do you think of Atlantic City as a fight town? Fight town. I mean, it has a pretty rich, rich history, yeah, I guess. With yeah, it. I love the fight there because yeah. I fought there three times in Atlantic City. I have a three wins, three by knockouts. You know, that's oh, a okay. locked place for me. Um, how did you get your start in uh, in MMA? Uh, my background is Muay Thai. I moved to US just for teach my Muay Thai. I don't like MMA. I don't like Jiu Jitsu. A couple years ago, and, and I start training. Start training Jiu Jitsu, and and my I need money to bring my wife to USA because I, I moved to US. Ah. And somebody asked me if I want to fight. I said, yeah, maybe. How much you guys pay? I'll pay this much. I said, oh, yeah, I was fight. And I start <laughs> fight MMA. In the okay. beginning, I really don't like it. I just fight just, you know, because I love compete and fight for money. And, yeah, that's how I start fighting oh, MMA. Okay. <laughs> and you, you train in Tom's River, correct? Yeah, I live in Tom's River. I train with uh, many, many, like a, a lot of place, but I live in Tom's River. Oh, okay. Uh, where do you train uh, primarily? Uh, I train with uh, Ricardo Almeida, mm -hmm. Triton, and I train with uh, Nikaton too. Oh, Nikaton, okay, yep. yeah. In Brick, yep. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, Frankie Edgar in that. He's in that area as yeah, well. Yeah, he's correct? in the area. He's one of my training partner. He's uh, the captain. Oh yeah, <laughs> the okay. Captain of the team, yeah. Little different climate though, right? Weather. Yeah, it's very different. <laughs> it's too hard. Yeah. Yeah. This is. This hasn't been the best winter. That's for sure. Yeah. Too many storms and stuff. Too that's cold. <laughs> too cold, especially for me. I'm from Brazil. From yeah. Rio's, you know, summer whole year. In Florida, when I live in Florida, it's good. You know. Mm -hmm. But it's too hard. It's too hard for me. This weather. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. So, what kind of um, fight are you expecting against? Uh, against Kevin. Oh, it's like a big war. Yeah. Like always, yeah. Every time we'll step in octagon, I try, you know, do a crazy fight, big war, and this fight's gonna be different. Okay. Do your styles, are they the same? It, you know, that's MMA fighting, you know? Everybody good everywhere. Yeah. You know, I have this fight go, I'm ready. Like I said, I'm ready for war. Okay. When was the last time you were in Atlantic City? Before uh, now, I came here for watching my brother fight here. A friend of mine, uh, BJ Young, he fights CFFC. Oh yeah, Cage Fury. Yeah, uh -huh. Fury. I come to watch him, and he won. Oh, it's good. good. I love this place, man. Every time I be here, I have a good time. Oh, good. Very good. So now it's back to uh, Tom's River to train and just get ready for this. Oh, yeah, right? definitely. Back to train hard and get ready for, for a big fight, a big war. Oh, very good. All right, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, Kevin. Of course, <laughs> it, uh, of course. And I'm, uh, everybody, this is Dave Weinberg, sports columnist for the Press of Atlantic City, and I'm here with Kevin Lee. He's going to be fighting at the uh, Boardwalk Hall on April 21st, first time back in AC in a while for the UFC. Um, yes, sir. I'm guessing you're kind of excited about it, right? Yes, sir. We're getting this off to a right start. You know, uh, it, it's been a lot of uh, – Atlantic City's always been a huge fight town. 
Uh, and we bringing it to the next generation. I'm, I'm originally from Detroit. We had Joe Lewis fight there. Uh, you know, you had Tommy Hearns oh, fight yeah. there. I mean, yeah. Floyd Mayweather's fought there. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing this into the next generation. It's MMA time, baby. Nice, nice. Are you from Detroit itself or the Grand Rapids? or Detroit itself, yeah. Oh, okay. Born and raised. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I live and train in Las Vegas now. I've been there for three years now. So. Oh, okay. You haven't fought in Atlantic City before, have you? Or no, have you? No, no, first time. Oh, okay. I fought you, in Newark, Newark, New Jersey. Oh, yeah, at Prudential Center? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, it's where I made my UFC debut. Oh, no Not kidding. since. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. All right, cool. So, well, I don't know if you know, the UFC has a pretty – it basically got its start here. I mean, I know originally it's uh, officially like Vegas or Colorado or something, but um, – it didn't become like legitimized until uh, it came here. Oh, well, there you and go. They, yeah, it was fought at uh, Taj Mahal, which is now turning into Hard Rock Casino. But um, oh, so we bringing the full circle. Oh yeah, they, they yeah. picked the right man to get the job done. Then oh, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uh, funny that I ran into Dana White at a uh, Cage Fury show, which is one of those, it's like Ring of Combat Cage Fury, they're kind mm-hmm. of like lower level. But um, I ran into him. He was looking for one of those looking for a fight deals and he promised me that they were going to be coming back here so it's nice to see that uh he's living and, up to his word <laughs> and, and they're doing it right you know i think this is the right fight to make uh me versus edson is is going to show that it, april in general is going to be huge for one the 155 pound division yeah. it's been the toughest division in the ufc so i think they they ended it off right we got me versus edson and uh we we gonna put on a show for the folks oh, good good well how do your uh styles um Mix. I mean, are you a different fighter than Edson? Of course. I mean, everybody fights different, of course. Right. But uh, Edson's explosive. He's fast. Uh, he's got a lot of knockout power. If I slip up, the man will put my lights out. So uh, I've got everything that he's got. Plus, I got even more. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got a wrestling base. Uh, oh, okay. And but I'm. I feel like I'm. My goal since I started this sport is to be the most well-rounded fighter that there mm-hmm. is and the most well-rounded individual. And and that's what I'm going to showcase. I'm, I'm going to show that in this fight, and I'm going to show it in my next fight, too. Okay. And how did you get your start? I started through wrestling. Yeah. through I, I Did you wrestle in high school? Or? I wrestled in high school, got a got a, a scholarship to college. Oh, did you? Uh, went to Grand Valley State over oh, in no Michigan. Kidding, yeah. Uh, and then after that, it just kind of – I got into wrestling with the intention of fighting. I think that's what makes me a little bit different than some of the other guys in the past that you may – that have started wrestling, and then once they finished wrestling, they didn't know what they were going to do, so they right. picked up fighting. Right. When I started wrestling, it was with the intention of going into fighting. So my oh, style okay, okay. is a little more well-rounded than just a wrestler that oh, knows okay. how to fight. Yeah, it seemed like some of the older guys, maybe Frankie Edgar and those kind of guys, there wasn't that opportunity back then, so they wrestled and then figured out – yeah, you know because it's, it's hard to make money in wrestling, you know. You oh, unless yeah. you go to the Olympics, you there's really not a lot of opportunity. So guys just saw that and they tried to pick it up. But me, I started this. I started wrestling when I was 16, uh, right when the UFC was getting big and it was getting oh, okay. hype. And uh, you know, George St. Pierre has really got me to start f- fighting. So uh, I think I came in at a different time than those guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Borbal Call is also big for wrestling. That's where the state high school championships are held every year. Oh, yeah, drew like yeah. drew like ten thousand people last weekend for it. It's yeah, a, I, I know uh, Jersey and New York in general is it's a big wrestling yep, community. Yep, so yep. Uh, I'm I'm looking to go out there and put on a show for them. Good, 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 good. Um, did you uh, get your degree from Grand Valley, or you're you're still you're like a semester short? I think I read. So, yeah, I got, I'm a semester short. I got signed in December, 
right before uh, my senior year was up. So oh, no I'm still a semester short. You know, I, I was going for the degree in biomedicine. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how that whole thing play out. Right now, I'm, I'm in a whooping ass business. So <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got I my, my bachelor's in that. So. <laughs> and working on your master's, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. So you come like a pretty long way in a short time, then, right? I mean, if you you just started when two thousand when did you make your pro debut? Uh, two thousand twelve, I made okay. my pro debut. So yeah, You're, I mean, it's, it's it's been quick. It's been a rise. I'm I'm. It's been a fun ride. I'm I I'm just now getting started too. I'm only twenty five years old. I'm I'm a you know a man don't hit his peak until he's twenty eight, twenty nine. Sure, we don't see sure. how this is going. Yeah, yeah. Probably even older, really. I mean, it's a. UFC kind of, I guess, kind of has a longer shelf life than some maybe like boxing or something like that. You can, yeah, I mean, guys, I mean, if you take care of yourself and don't get bang, banged up and yeah, guys go well into their thirties. Uh, you know, I think Edson's is is thirty one right now or thirty right. or thirty one, but and man's still in his prime. You can see, I mean, you can see his explosiveness is still there. His his ability to recover is still there. It's, you know, it's, it's still a long time coming. But I think I bring a little bit of both. I bring that youth along with experience because I got a lot of fights. This is my fourth. Uh, five round fight that I'm getting ready for now, okay. so I've got a lot of experience in there, and that's that's a dangerous combination when you mix that youth, explosiveness with experience and athleticism. Oh, it's mm-hmm. it's going to be a wrap. Where did you um, get your start as far as MMA goes? You didn't go right to the UFC, did you, or did you um, did you fight at any lower level? I, I, you know, I was kind of the guy over in Michigan mm-hmm. uh, when I was coming up. The sport was unregulated, so not a lot of commissions would would look at my amateur record and, and sanction me. So I had to always go to another guy's hometown and fight him. You know, oh, I, no I fought in the country bars in Indiana. I, w- wow. I went up to, I actually got my nickname because I, I used to fight in Canada a lot. Uh, that would be the only place to sanction me to fight. And they knew me from Detroit and up huh. in Canada. All people knew was Motown and the Motown sound. So oh, they start okay. calling me Motown and uh, we added the phenom <laughs> on it. But I've, I've always been the guy to go over and fight another guy in his hometown. And I think that's where it really shines. And uh, it's going to shine in this one, too, because uh, I think Edson trains over in New Jersey. He trains in Tom's River or, or yeah, something that's probably like that. Yeah, that's where I spot. Uh, yeah. Facility so yeah, yeah. So I think he trains with the over there, and yeah, look another so one on the record. It then. All right, nothing new for you then. <laughs> N- another one on the record. Where's the uh, the the strangest place you had a fight? Fortaleza, uh, Brazil. Yeah, uh, Fortaleza, Brazil. I fought uh, a three time world kick- kickboxer champion from Brazil. It was probably the craziest arena because I flipped off the the crowd at the weigh-ins so people were <laughs> people were throwing shit at me they was as we was walking out i you know they were screaming you're gonna die you're doing all this and uh, oh, it wow. was maybe ten thousand people in the in the building but it felt like a hundred thousand they were screaming uh, oh and so hard yeah, it was it was amazing <laughs> so you didn't uh, make many friends in okay <laughs> <laughs> they love me after the fight look when they gonna okay. love me after the fight i say the same thing every time i do it oh good good <laughs> So where was the bar in Indiana that you fought at the fight? Do you remember? It was uh, in Indianapolis. I fought a kid that was I was four and zero at the time. He was five and zero. It was his hometown in Indianapolis. I want to say it was uh, I forget the name of it. It was something saloon. Literally right next to the cage that they had set up was a, uh, a mechanical bull. <laughs> they maybe had. 
500 people in the building, I want to say, but it was so small and so compact. People were literally could reach out and grab the cage as we was fighting. Oh, wow. uh, we had a hell of a fight, too. I think yeah. I broke the kid's jaw. He opened up a bit cut above my eyebrow. Uh, but after the fight, they had to uh, scurry me out the back. And we wasn't, we <laughs> look, you don't want to mess with them, them rednecks in Indiana for too long, especially, especially when you come down there and beat the hometown boy at his own game. Yeah, it's it, you beat him? Yeah, of course. Oh, oh okay. yeah. Whoop that boy. <laughs> I had to. I got to do what I got to do. <laughs> It'll be a different atmosphere in Boardwalk Hall, though, I would imagine. I mean, it's, uh, you know, like I said, it's kind of known for, yeah, you know, like when Mike Tyson mm-hmm. fought there back in his heyday. And uh, I think Hearns might have fought there a time or two. No, I think about it. But it's uh, got a rich history as far as fighting goes, you know, both boxing and MMA. So it's a. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a little different. I mean, it's gonna be on another another scale. I mean, my last couple fights, you know, I, I headlined uh, the T-Mobile Arena yeah. in, in Las Vegas right, for my sure. last fight, which is just a whole another. Oh yeah, uh, you yep. know, that's a whole another stage. So I mean, we 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 on a, a totally different level now. We did an interview earlier, and I did one with Edson, and the guy was trying to get us to fight in there. And I'm like, I, I didn't did enough fighting for free in my life. I didn't did, <laughs> right, you know, right. I didn't fought in the country bars. I didn't did all that. Like, it's, I'm on another level now. We, oh yeah, yeah, we yeah. Professional. You, don't, you don't do it unless there's cash coming. In. That's true. Exactly. <laughs> yep. No way he's gonna get beat up for free. That's for sure. Or, or beat anybody else up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Usually the other guy. <laughs> when did you uh, move to Vegas? Uh, it's been three years now, right after my UFC debut. Okay. Uh, Why there? Just because UFC's based there? Or? Well, I knew I had to make a change. You know, I, I lost my debut uh, when I fought here in Prudential Center, and I just I wasn't training right. I was I was still in college at the time. You know, I didn't really have a, a head coach. I didn't really have training partners. I just was kind of doing my own thing. So uh, I just got in my car, started driving west, ended up in Vegas. It seemed like the best spot. You know, I, I stayed there, and then my my folks came out, and I was able to move my family there. And then at the, ever since, it's been, a, you know, it's like a fairy tale. We, what can we do? So what kind of fight are you expecting against Edson? Um, I'm expecting a war. You know, it, it, it's going to be one of two things. You know, Edson's coming off a loss, too, uh, which I think is going to make him very dangerous. He, he, you know, the man still has a lot of fire in him. Uh, I'm expecting a war. He's, he's either going to... He's either gonna back down and he's gonna he he's just gonna let me take over, or he or he's gonna come up and he's gonna you know try and put it on me. So we gonna see we'll we'll see how how the fight's gonna go. Either I'm gonna run him over or we are gonna have a war. Okay, well thanks a lot. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, sir.